morning and welcome to Recipe for Success. My name is Nancy Giacalone and my guest today is Lynn Lambrecht. Um, for anyone joining us for the very first time, Recipe for Success came about from my love of cooking. And I noticed that when I would be cooking that there was often one ingredient or technique that was really critical to the success of whatever it was that I was making. And the more I thought about it, the more I realized that that's really true in almost anything we do in life and in business. So I like to um, have guests on that are doing really great things in their personal or business lives. And I'm super excited to welcome Lynn to the show today. Lynn is with um, The Living Planner, and I'd love for her to introduce herself and tell us just a little bit about your career history, because it is long and varied and very interesting. And we'll get into it a little deeper as we go on. Nancy, it's so nice to be here with you today. And um, I, too, am a fellow cook, so I love the fact that uh, we are talking about recipes for success. Um, I am Lynn Lambrecht. I have had an aviation career, and it spanned multiple cities, states, countries, and uh, continents. So uh, the fun part about that is travel expands us. I mean, it really allows us to go beyond where we're from. I'm from the Iowa border of Illinois in the Quad Cities in Moline and uh, went to college in Florida and grad school in Ohio and started my airline career in San Francisco. Um, and it's interesting because the aviation sector, um, it does. I mean, it for me, I was in the sales function. So it was corporations and government, military and travel agencies and tour operators and wholesalers and all of that kind of stuff, but um, had the opportunity to literally move around a lot with um, promotional opportunities to opening up an office in Sacramento, to working in the international sector in LA, to becoming a district sales manager of Ohio, Indiana and Kentucky, and then a regional director back up in the West. So I was in Seattle, um, but then Alaska, British Columbia, Washington, Oregon, Idaho, Montana, Northern California change countries and companies, moved to China. Um, and so I was in overseeing Beijing and Shanghai, went down to our Pacific South office in um, Hong Kong to oversee the uh, Pacific South division until my parents were both um, impacted by different health challenges. And I came back to the States and worked out of Chicago so I could drive across the state every weekend to check in on mom and dad. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, what I haven't mentioned is that I was an emergency team responder as a volunteer. So um, you will get into that, I, I know, a little bit later. But then ultimately, um, I moved up to Montreal to work with the International Air Transport Association. So my staff was in Geneva, Switzerland, and in Montreal, and it was wonderful. And then my mom was failing, so I came back to the States to help her with transitions. And um, that's when the Living Planner was born. You make my world feel very small. Please, you've been. That is so amazing. I just, I, I envy, um, I should say I admire your um, flexibility and your freedom to go to different places throughout the world. I think that that is such a, a unique and admirable trait. Um, many people, myself included, are not wired that way. I'm very, I think I'm very grounded to where I live and 
even the thought of moving to a different house is somewhat is somewhat jarring to me. I'm like, oh, you mean I have to pack? Well, and I'm the one that grew up in my same house my whole life, you know. And what's interesting is that I think the um, I have um, an older brother and older sister, and both of them had traveled a, a bit. Um, my brother during um, military service, and my sister. I mean, Bill was you know through his education and military, but um, my sister with her education and so I don't know. We traveled throughout the U.S. as kids. You know, mom and dad were always anxious to pop us in the car and get us around. So I think part of it was just instilled when I was little. Oh, that's and then my insatiable curiosity. Well, I definitely have the curiosity bug. Just maybe I, I like to travel. I just don't think I want to live somewhere else. That's maybe for me where I draw the line. But yeah. anyway, I'll, I'll bring it back to um, our discussion because I could talk about that all day long. But um, I want to preface it by um, I kind of chose the title for today's episode, um, Avoiding the Ostrich Syndrome, <laughs> um, which I picked up from a line in. Um, OK, so this we will come back to this, but this is Lynn's workbook, The Living Planner. And I picked it up out of there and I really liked it because I think a lot of us um, definitely have the ostrich syndrome with many areas of our life. And I think that there's no area that is more a better example of it than we want to talk about what happens when we die. Um, even saying that sentence is hard for a lot of people to even to even get that out. Um, so I definitely wanted to I definitely wanted to address that and and put it in context as far as why we are talking about the ostrich syndrome because it is within the context <laughs> of avoiding discussions about what happens. If we die, we're all well, going to die. Yeah, As you yeah, say, everybody has an expiration date. Well, if we had come out of the, uh, if we'd come out with like a, a date stamp on us, it might not be as hard. But it's not just about death. It's also there are things that can happen while we're living. That's yes. the living planner. And so, I mean, I, we have two bad D words disability or dismemberment and death. Yeah, yeah. But on the other hand, um, I came, came up with my little ostrich family discussion because my, honestly, I mean, part of it was generational. I, I was the youngest child and by quite a few years um, from the, the, my brother and I are the bookends and our sister is in the middle. And it's interesting because my dad was in World War II and, you know, my mom was like five years behind him and generationally they didn't have discussions like this. And so I have a very warped sense of humor. And I decided that my way of describing it was, okay, we have cute little ostriches with their heads in the sand and their little bottoms are up and they're shaking, shaking, shaking when they would, then that shaking, shaking means no, 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 I don't want to talk about it. But and being the youngest child, I think part of it was um, I came out of the blocks curious and conversational. So my questions of why, 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 why kind of have continued out throughout my chronological advancement. So I think that um, it's easier sometimes from what I've done a little bit of research and there's this whole terror thought that we people have and we feel safer when it's easier to not discuss something than to bring it up. Um, there's a lot of superstition around it, too, because, you know, if I say something, it's going to happen, you know, when thoughts become things and, you know, people uh, prefer not to discuss. Um, and I am one that likes to shine light even in dark places. Yeah, I love that. OK, so we are going to go to the I won't say the 
complete beginning, but the beginning of, I think, the germ of where the living planner came from. And it really started in your early to mid-20s when you had the um, responsibility opportunity. I'm not really sure how to frame that because I think it's both things to work your first airplane crash. Mm-hmm. And I mean, as as stand, you know, people on the sidelines and we see an airplane crash on the news and we can't imagine the horror that those family members have to go through. But you were there on the ground. So tell me a little bit about that um, time and how, you know, how that impacted you. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because when I was in college, I was an RA in the dorms. And when I was in grad school, I was a head res. So I had had some crisis intervention training um, when my my family is um, a lot of science backed, you know, from a doctor and a dentist perspective um, and dietitian, nutritionist on my sister's side. So, I mean, we would have some interesting conversations at home, but I'm incredibly calm in a bad situation. Um, when I was asked if I would consider becoming a volunteer, my response was yes. Of course, I had my curiosity of what would that entail. And when I found out that it would be, you know, I would be called on site, um, that was something that I knew there were various responsibilities that could be given. But you don't know when something like that is ever going to happen. So when you say yes at 22, when you're starting, um, you're not sure what to expect or when to expect it. So you're always kind of a little bit on guard. Um, You know, you know that you might get that call at any time. Uh, My first call came shortly after I had moved from San Francisco to Sacramento. And um, they, I knew that there was a crash in Detroit and that there were no survivors. And I would be, you know, flying in on a red eye into Detroit to assume my responsibilities. I always thought I'd be assigned to a family, but they had been assigned already to people that were from the Midwest and East Coast and therefore closer to get to the site. Um, so my job was to work on the ground and in the morgue during the daytime, but then to work the crisis intervention lines for the family members from midnight to six in the morning. Um, that experience, believe me, when it, when I still to this day watch a crash, I go straight into like that crash mode um, because you can't imagine what that's like. I mean, when anyone has experienced a loss, it's devastating. It's utterly devastating when, and we never know which is better or worse. I mean, is it better fast or is it better over a a long period of time? Um, You know, like in the case of my dad with his Alzheimer's, that was a long time. Um, The quickness though is so jarring and it's upsetting to people from um, and not knowing how to move forward with day-to-day life. So that was a lot of what um, I was listening to. Um, yeah, it's just, it's not, you don't really imagine what that can be like, but the only thing I could think of was what is the care and comfort I can provide, if any, in that moment directly to a person who was on the other end of the phone. So you had this, this experience in your early twenties, but it didn't end there. You continued to be, um, involved in crisis management, um, for much of your career and I would love to know what what was it that drew you to be that person that had the ability to stand up and stand alongside those people in those very difficult moments? I just know I would want someone, <laughs> you know, um, it's something that it's a service in some ways. 
and I think maybe with, you know, my dad and my brother, both in the military, I mean, and like the medical and dental side of it. I mean, I grew up in a, a, a place where you do things that are beyond you. Um, and that's how I am. And so it's part of my core being that part I know. Um, and the other is I, I knew that I stay, I mean, I get really, I'm like the chocolate covered marshmallow. <laughs> I um, am a big old sap in here, but I'm incredibly practical and I want to make sure that whatever it is that someone needs that they can have access to. So I'm a tenacious little fighter for people. Um, and that's just part of my spirit and my soul. And so, yes, um, it, was, it was we could always opt out if we wanted to. And I opted not to opt out. <laughs> I love that about you, Lynn. That's an incredible quality. Um, can you tell me and tell the audience a little bit about the second crash when it was not a fatality and what that was like? Because that was equally that was difficult. Well, I think what, you know, the um, interesting part when I go into hindsight is that my reaction when I was called was, why do you need me? Because I had only kind of been a part of something that was everyone that hadn't made it. Um, but, you know, what I found is that people sometimes need us more when they're in that other in that other place um, and especially um, of severe burns. Um, that is a long road to recovery. And that is something that, you know, especially if you're not able to communicate um, and your family members are not really aware of a lot of the situation around you. Um, that was a an, like a very intense learning for me because I was again in, now in my late twenties. But the um, per, the family that I was working with had a, a, gen, a contemporary of my age group um, that was impacted. So it's very um, that was very stilling because it could have been me in that situation. Um, it was also something I am a believer that life happens for us sometimes and not to us, even in the darkness. Um, and I, it was something that allowed me to come home and realize, holy crap, nobody knows anything about my life. And how am I going to make that easier for someone just in case? Because I know that um, in those, <clears throat> we think a lot about people being older and having, you know, the health, health challenges and ultimately not no longer being with us. But that was my huge wake up call to, okay, hold on, this can happen at any point. So how is it that um, I can, I can respond that way too. So you've got to, the privacy laws have changed so much from the days that I was doing what I was doing, because I could fight with um, attorneys to actually have more of an authority level to go in and help situate, you know, take care of the situation. These days, the laws are so stringent that it wouldn't be easy for someone to come in from the outside and actually help you um, because the laws, you know, are they're trying to protect us from identity theft and all the rest. I don't begrudge them. I just know that people don't, we don't always think about that because there's this wonderful administrative side of life that we don't start teaching when we're young. <laughs> Yeah, I had the um, opportunity about five years ago to walk through end of life with a friend and um, I was uh, the power of attorney um, because he didn't really have anybody to help him through that. And even with full power of attorney, it's difficult, it was yeah. hard to get the information that I needed and mm -hmm. to and to get the cooperation that was necessary. So um, 
I think that leads me into all of your experiences really impacted you in a meaningful way in that you realized there's, you know, we do wills and we do things like that, but what about the practical side of, of death and disability? I'm sorry. I'm going to just throw the double D's. We need to address them. Um, we, we don't talk about the practical side no. of it. And, um, that kind of led you into creating the living planner. And in our prior conversation, when we chatted just to get to know each other, you pointed out a couple of things that were just like, I was like, oh my gosh, I never even thought about that. Um, so tell me about- Wait, you're going to have to tell me what I pointed I'll out. I'll remind you. Don't worry. I'll remind you. Um, but um, I, again, I just, um, we'll, we'll reference this later, but let's talk about this workbook a little bit and what got you, what got you to actually start to put pen to paper and to figure out okay, how do I make this a practical tool and how do I start making this a mission to educate people on this? And I think part of it, I mean, at, when I was mentioning crash number two, when I came back, that was when I did my first legal documents. And I remember sitting with an attorney in Los Angeles and, you know, I didn't have um, property at that point, oh, but I, so I wasn't exceeding the small estate size as I would now call it now but um, by powers of attorney so that people could help me pay bills if I needed to or make medical decisions if I wasn't able to do that. Um, and then the whole rest of it with the advanced directives and, and things of that nature. But I looked at the attorney and I said, okay, hold on, this is only one piece. And they, you know, the response back was a look of, you know, incredulousness. And I said, hold on, honestly, how does somebody know how to get into where I live? How do they know where I file things? How do they know where my bills are? How do they know what I do in my day-to-day -day life? And that was the first time I acknowledged the gap, you know, and then I kept seeing it even in work because, you know, we all have life and business that intersect all the time. And when I was in China, um, my mom had had a second triple bypass and she had to be taken out of state. And I flew in for the surgery and my dad was off all day. And when we, you know, conferred later after mom had made it beautifully through surgery, I just said, hey, tell me when you realized you were off. And the answer back was, I don't, I don't want your mom to know. You can't tell your mom. But, you know, it's again, there's a scary part of life. That was the beginning. Um, we found out later that it was my beginning of my dad's Alzheimer's progress you know, the, the, the diagnosis. And so I came back to the States. So it's those pieces that all kind of came, I think, together for me that I realized um, there were gaps and we have amazing professionals who are working in the financial space and in selling insurance protective policies and working as our accountants and the tax mitigation people. And we have and the attorneys, thank God for the attorneys. We need the legal documents. And then we have our medical providers that are, you know, doing what they do and the whole end of life side. Yet I didn't see someone threading it. And I didn't see someone threading it from a perspective that was our day-to-day -day life and talking in the language that we non-licensed of those kinds of professionals uh, were talking about. And I want people not to be scared to talk to those professionals. My dad had not updated his legal documents since well before I was born, when I had the opportunity to move to China. And as much as I knew as I could fly, I could fly home from anywhere in 24 hours to help mom and dad if I didn't have the 
proper documentation to do so, that that would be very difficult. And so we did, I came home and it helped explain and did that with my parents. Um, finally, you know, I had been drip, drip, dripping since right, I had right. my first um, uh, crash, but you know, it was, that was so valuable because with out, I mean, without doing that, dad wouldn't have had the mental capacity that would be needed to make legal changes and update information. So, you know, I don't know. I know we all get so spooked, but on the other hand, for me, it's empowering. It is an ability to realize I don't control what I don't control, but this is something I can. And if I change my mind along the way, guess what? I'm going to change my mind. And I've been doing updates on this stuff since I was 28. And I am now in my um, <clears throat> sixth decade. So there, ha I have lived in 17 places in 35 years. I mean, those are trigger events a lot of times for a change. So you just do, I mean, do it. I grumble just like I grumble when I do my taxes every year but it's a part of my process. And I know that it would help me if I need it, but it's also there not to be so messy for other people who have to clean up when I'm gone. Well, I think that you hit the nail on the head. I think we need to normalize the discussion for one thing, but um, yeah. So I mentioned the walking through end of life on the flip side of that, my dad died suddenly in 2021 and mm -hmm. I have, I'm still involved with his wife in trying to finalize these. Yeah, we're down to, we're down to the actual, the legal and tax stuff now. So that part, you know, we have professionals, but in the beginning, it mm. was the practical things that you talked about. It was how, how do you pay the bills? What's the password to this account? I so I want to touch on that for a minute because I think it's the practical side that nobody talks about. Um, and I pretend I have a shadow. OK, yeah. because I think that we do so much in, in autopilot and it's good yeah. for us. It's good for us, but it's also a blind spot right. because we um, tend, especially as people, we play to our strengths. And then when we're in couples, we even more so play to our strengths. So this person, oh, thank you, honey. You're doing that. Boom. Go. OK, I'm doing a good boom. Go But Should never the twain shall meet or can we talk about it? So I'm the um, one that always believes that there can be that conversation, even when it's um, uncomfortable. Um, and I think that, you know, little documentation, a little bit at a time, it goes a long way and it's overwhelming. I understand, but it's not as overwhelming when you look at it from just one little piece at a time. Yeah. So, you know, it's just, I don't know how to take away the mental woogies other than the fact that. I know that when I work with a lot of younger people, they're um, hesitant to name a guardian and do things of that level and that nature. But again, we can change our mind. Mm -hmm. You know, we can change our mind on anything. So I think because the emotion seems to be so ratcheted up that we're just so relieved when it's finished that we never want to think about it or talk about it again. But if we can shift that into, okay, hold on, how do I make life better for me now and make sure that it's accessible from someone else? And if someone were shadowing me right now, what would they need to know? Well, I think um, that when, a couple of things that you said to me in our prior conversation that really stuck with me is you're right. In a couple, we tend to take on different responsibilities and sometimes don't discuss it. But I think even more um, important is for people that live alone. Uh, because 
How do you get into that person's apartment? Where do they live? How, what's the key? Where's their mailbox? Where's, Where's their garage? Their <laughs> do they have a security code? I mean, I am ridiculous. Do they have pets? What medications do the pets take? Who's the yep. pet vet? Um, do you have you designated in the event something happens to you? What's going to be done with the pet? I mean, these are literally I know. huge things that we never think about. I do. <laughs> It is what it's this the thing that I know. Sometimes it's easier when you have an outside eye coming in too, because I mean, hey, if you have properties in multiple states, okay, hold on, how are you going to avoid that probate? If your business is um, actually based, quote unquote, in Delaware or incorporated in Delaware, but you're living residing in a different state, then what? Yeah. I mean, we have fifty states plus. Puerto Rico, plus the District of Columbia, and all of them have different rules and regulations. Absolutely. And, you know, it's just, it's fascinating, the labyrinth that we live within that we often aren't aware of. So I love to dig into that. I'm McGruffy the crime dog. I just am going to go digging around and finding whatever I can find to make um, the information a little bit more palatable, but also prepare you for those professionals who are going to ultimately do draft your documents and do things for you. So I know we kind of touched on it, but I'm going to, I'm going to go back and ask the question again. Okay. Why do you think as Americans, specifically Americans, because I cannot address any other society because I've not lived in any place else. Do you think we avoid the discussion of death and disability as fervently as we do? I think it's um, a lot to do around. We live, we want to live really good lives and we think about living and death being two very separate and distinct pieces. Um, and I look at living a great life prepares us for a great death. And so I look at it very differently. But I know that there is fear. I know that um, there's sometimes a big vulnerability because there are examinations that need to be done. We need to look at, you know, not just our readiness, but, you know, um, our, our, some of it is our readiness. It's our financial readiness. It is our, you know, our discussion readiness and there's things of that nature, but no, we tend to avoid it because it's easier to put it aside and say, I want to live now and I am going to live my best life. But that's always like an operating system running in the background of wondering if and wondering when. And that's so, great, yeah, that's a great comment. Living a great life prepares us for a great death. I think that's a beautiful comment and I will remember that one. Um, okay. So if you could tell people one thing, I mean, I know there's a hundred things, but if there's one thing they can do to prepare their family in the event that something happens to them today, tomorrow, or in the future, what would that one thing be? First, take a deep breath. Second, ask yourself, do you have a plan B? And if you don't, then what is the one thing you could do today that could set you on that path? Okay, I like that. Okay, so we're gonna take we're gonna we're gonna lighten the mood a little bit for a minute. So I know that in addition to doing all this important work, that you also um 
are a mentor to young women. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, that's just a, and also a, a mentor for veterans transitioning mm -hmm. from um, service into civilian life. And mm -hmm. both of those things are like, they just makes my heart sing because I love help. I love helping raise people up and walk alongside them into their, you know, into their potential. But I want to know what motivated you to do that. And I want to hear more about it. I think part of it is um, number one, I saw a military service up front with both my dad and my brother. And what was interesting to me is that there was a nonprofit organization um, that was run by, and, and there was a, a woman that I had met that was going to become their new executive director. And she asked if um, I would consider becoming a business mentor. And my answer was absolutely yes. Because I think what I have always seen, um, we don't always see the transferability of our skills. And um, these, pe these people had given so much um, to us and our country and representing us and our safety. And then coming back and trying to determine what was going on, it's just an absolute joy to meet them and to realize maybe as a leader of people, even in my jobs, I always wanted to know what um, people, you know, like, tell me who you want to be and what are the tools that can get you there. So that part is amazing. Now the kids, then that's a blast. I haven't had kids. So for me, it's an ability. I was the 17 year old that paid for college by myself and left my state and went to a new state. And, you know, you learn by sometimes just falling down and getting up. But I kept thinking, wouldn't it be cool if somebody could actually be on a, a, um, side by side? And so it started out actually as a, um, the scholarship recipients were receiving like a quarter's worth of mentorship. And that um, my what I have always found is that my quarter's worth of mentorship ended up being like the full four years of their school and beyond. So, I mean, when we're starting out, we're really excited and there's a whole independence and life is ahead of you, et cetera, et cetera. And then come the questions of how do I manage my time? How do I manage my money? How do I manage my emotions? What am I supposed to be learning right. about this and about that? And sometimes it's easier to ask a third party. You know, I agree you may, with that. You may yeah. not have, you know, somebody that you're comfy with at home, especially when you're trying to like exert, exert your independence. So it's just, it's a gift. They, um, everyone I meet is a teacher for me. I, I love that. That's, that's wonderful. Um, just out of curiosity, what do you think that veterans transitioning into civilian life, what do you think their number one biggest challenge is? Specifically when I talk about civilian, like the business world, what do you think that biggest challenge is? Wondering how their skills are going to fit into a workplace. Okay. Well, that makes sense. Um, it makes sense that they would think that to me. I don't think that because I, I think don't think it the, either. I think I don't. all the wonderful skills that they have garnered and how they would be but it's kind of like the aviation sector. We have specific lingo and acronyms and, you know, processes, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, logistics means one thing, one place and one thing, another, but you don't always see how that's going to transfer over. And so I think part of it is just an acknowledgement of, okay, Hey, hold on. This is what's underneath what you currently do. And these, are, this is what's in the marketplace that, of, of people that are looking for that. So it's a, it's just, an, again, an education and awareness because you don't know what you don't know. And so you're thinking, okay, I only know this in this environment. How do I move it somewhere else? Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. 
So we have made yes, it to we have made it to the favorite part of the show. So you get you get to be subjected to my five burning questions. Okay, First burning number, question asker. Number one never changes because okay. it ties into the title of the show. So what is your absolute favorite food in the world? I don't need, I already know you probably can cook it because you already told me you love to cook, but can you cook it? Okay, so this is going to be uh, I'm I'm like the geek because I have seasonal favorites and I have mealtime favorites. Okay. So right now I'm in this like crazy mode of um, making sure that people have fresh blueberry scones. <laughs> and yes, I make them. And I make, oh, I, I love blueberry make lemon curd to go with it. Because, oh. you know, it's just one of those things that I do. So I is that a meal? No. Is it like an, a healthy snack? Probably not. But, but it's it tasty. Awfully yummy. Yeah. So um, is it with that? Is that at the top of your list? It's been front of mind lately. I don't know why, but I mean, okay. So I love a good sweet potato, black bean chili. Oh, that sounds good too. And I, you know, I love creating that too. So yes, um, but I can get into the whole, please allow me to get a beautiful fish and put it on the grill and then have couscous and vegetables and, you know, all that stuff. So I'm kind of healthy, except yeah. for the blueberry scones and the lemon curd. Um, so yeah, I- um, terrible. I mean, does it rank high on the healthy factor? No, but it doesn't, it's certainly not in the very bottom. So I, I, I give you a pass on that. That's all okay. amazing. Okay, so what is the one character trait you admire most in other people and why? I'm going to combine two because I am not always a rule follower, and I'm going to say kindness and wisdom. And the reason why is that someone's spirit and their kindness always makes my heart happy, but their experiences and their ways of deciphering what's happened and being able to share the wisdom piece is huge. I love that. Okay. So now if I flip the mirror on you and you have to look at yourself, what's the character trait in yourself that you're most proud of and why? Hmm. The ability to find a lesson in everything. Because I can be like obnoxiously um, on the, on the bright side, even in darkness. But I always, I do believe that I can find a lesson in anything that's given to me. Well, I would tend to agree with you on that. So I think that's a great quality. Okay. So you've had a lot of exciting experiences in your life. Um, you've lived in a lot of places. You've had wonderful career opportunities. But what if, what's the number one thing that's still on your bucket list that you haven't done yet that you'd love to do? Okay. So number one, I call it a life list. Because I am the believer of, um, I think kicking the bucket has such a negative connotation that I am a liver of life. So okay. my, and on my life list, which is, um, I have, I had completed my most important one and that, that I will describe later, but this, I have this dream of following the fruit. I'm a nature girl at heart. And what I would love to do is actually start on the East Coast in Maine and work my way across during um, fruit time and um, pick and make jams and hang out. That is such, I've never heard anybody say that before. That is such a cool thing. So um, love that idea. So what that, you know, I got to stop in the Midwest and get my cherries and yeah. you know, go up to Mackinac and all that, but then bring me back to the West Coast so I can close it out with blackberries because yeah. that is my summer annual trip. 
Yeah, and we have the fabulous cherries in uh, central in the central part we of do. our state, and we do. apples and all sorts of wonderful things. I know. Um, okay, so what's the one thing that you just completed that was on your life list that you was was high on your list? Well, um, I had made a pact with myself in the, my thirties that I was going to see a sunrise and sunset in every continent by age fifty-five. And on my double nickel, right before my double nickel birthday, I um, booked my trip to Antarctica, which was my seventh of seven. Well, again. so I had I had set that as my as one of my life list goals um, in my early thirties. I love so, that. Yes, I'm happy that I was able to do that. That was yeah. that was great. That's pretty incredible. Do you have pictures? Mm-hmm. I bet they must be amazing. Mm-hmm. Okay, so um, what is your secret talent, or something people would be surprised to learn about you? Ay 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 ay. Okay. I think, um, I thought I've been thinking about this one. And so one of them is scary and one of them is, um, much more fun. And they, the, I think the, the, the fun one is the seventh of seven continents. Okay. That a scarier one is that I fell off a seawall when I was 20 years old an 18 foot seawall. And, um, I died and came back through CPR. So I will tell you that that experience does stay with you. And maybe that's been part of, you know, why I'm so, as goofy as I am. But um, it's it definitely a way to acknowledge living life every day. It does have true, true meaning. Oh, okay. Well, that is very interesting. And I think that you're right. I think that those um, significant in- experiences impact us in ways for the rest mm-hmm. of our lives. So mm-hmm. um, truly it has allowed you to, bring a joy to life and a joy to discussing the hard topics that um, other people are afraid to tackle. So that's, that's awesome. Being shy is not one of my problems. <laughs> okay. Last question. So yeah. who is one person that uh, maybe they have a podcast, maybe you follow them on social media, What maybe it's an author that you would most like to meet in real person, sit down. I never pronounced this name correctly, but it's Atul Gawande. And that's the author of Being Mortal. Okay. I would love to sit and shout because it's the combination of, you know, like the whole science side of it, but um, a way that we could maybe rethink how medicine is practiced and how we societally could um, discuss and open, have more open and honest discussions about, being mortal, yes, there's vulnerability there, but um, you know, like embracing life fully too. Okay, I love it. All right, so um, again, I have flashed this a few times, but for anybody yeah. who didn't see it, hold it up. Um, so the, the Living Planner is as a very practical workbook, and I believe that there's an online guide or some uh, something that goes along with it. Am I correct, Lynn? I built some online courses that have okay. taken each section into separate units, if that's easier for some people to look at, um, or um, you know, like the whole thing. But as my uh, beta testers had told me when I was practicing putting together all the pieces, they were like. This is very, uh, this is a lot. We had no idea there was this much. You may want to break it apart. So if you um, would like to embrace the not having as big of an overwhelm, take a little section at a time. But the book was written that way too. It's short. It's try. I try to be in layperson language as best as possible. And I sell it on my website. 
Yeah, it's terrific. Um, I just got it and had an opportunity to look through it. And I do like the practical way that it's laid out. It is in bite-sized pieces. So if anyone is interested in obtaining a copy of this, it is available on your website, thelivingplanner.com, correct? Yes, ma'am. And you can also contact Lynn um, through your website or via LinkedIn. So I would just love to thank you so much for joining us today. I think this was an absolutely fantastic discussion. And um, I think we just need to keep bringing this subject to the light and letting people know it's okay to talk about it. Thank you for allowing me the opportunity to do so. And you guys, don't be scared. Honestly, at the end of the day, it's all little baby steps. You know, it's how, what do we do? We take like a little bite. We can be little Pac-Man people and just take a little bite at a time. So don't be scared. Don't be an ostrich. Come up, see the sun. It's good. Don't be an ostrich. Keep the fluffy butt down. So anyway, thank you again, Lynn. And uh, thank you everyone for joining us today. Thank you.